podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The, the checker flag waved. This laptop's still nowhere to be seen. I have no idea where this laptop is. So, like, I've got my boss on the on on com saying, "Okay, well, what's the update? What's going on? Is it fixed? Is it fixed?" And at this point, I don't even know where the laptop is. It's outside, being waved by, by my teammate. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> uh, I just have to say to him, "Yeah, don't worry. No, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry, it'll be fine." Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Ron Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Words podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's a Sunday, we're here, there's no race to talk about. So we thought we would take you behind the scenes in the F1 world. We've got the two Jameses. We've got James P. How are you feeling after your 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 near-death experience with COVID? It's not been a pleasant couple of weeks, but it's nice to be back. <laughs> Good, uh, I'm glad you're better. And James M. from Paris, how are you? I'm all right. Haven't had COVID. Feeling great. <laughs> that was a bit of a dig there. And on the show, we have Bailey McElligot, who is a senior motion graphic designer for F1. That's a title. Did I get the title right first? Of all? Yeah, no, you've smashed it there. Smashed it. Um, but yeah, how are you, how are you guys doing? I'm yeah. great. I'm good. Thank you. I also haven't had COVID. So, um, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good also. That's because you work in F1, right? And they're, they're, it's, you, you have to be very careful. If oh, right. yeah. We've, I've, <laughs> I've done many, many COVID tests in the last few years. So, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I'm very well practiced in that sense. Do they ever get easier? Do they ever get less painful? Um, stopped gagging, I think, is what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, to be fair, I think they do. But it all depends on who's doing it. And also, which might surprise you, also very much depends on which country you're in. Because... Some countries are more brutal than others when it comes to COVID tests and shoving the stick up there. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it does get a bit easier, especially in the UK. <laughs> anyway, side question then. I have to ask side question. What's the most brutal one then? What's the most brutal, where's, the most, where's the most brutal test you've had so far? So my worst was actually probably Portugal, which you might not expect. But I've heard... I, I never went, but Russia was apparently pretty brutal, as you probably could expect. But I've, uh, I heard um, people coming out with their bloody noses and all sorts from from those. So, uh, so yeah, I'm pretty fortunate not to experience one of those. God, well, that, that's the COVID sign of F1 for you. I told you we were <laughs> taking you behind the scenes today. Yeah, um, it's not pretty. But, Bailey, tell me about yourself. What's your role? What do you do for F1? So I work in the commercial media department at Formula One. We tend to focus on trackside advertising. So we work with the sponsors that you see on track. And um, we basically, it's our role to make sure that the sponsors are well presented on track, making sure that all their signage looks as good as possible and conveyed well through the screen. Um, we create mock-ups and decks that go to sponsors that, um, that they obviously approve, disapprove, want to change things. And um, so we work very closely with them just to make sure that they get their value for money. Um, I also work on other projects that are kind of separate to all that, which includes the podium animations. Um, also, I trigger and um, operate the LED advertisements around the track. 
And um, and yeah, also I've dabbled in a few projects with the live production team, uh, especially around the, there was a few milestones um, in the 2020 season. I think it was Raikkonen he he got the um, the milestone for the most laps completed. Um, so I'd done an animation for them, which went on the live screen or on the on the live broadcast even. And obviously when Hamilton broke his record as well, well when he won his championship in uh, was it Turkey when he got it. So I, I worked on the. So a few things for live for them as well. So yeah, I've dabbled in a few different departments of Formula One, but my main focus is on sponsorship and uh, trackside advertising. So I've got to ask, what's it like seeing your work, you know, your, your hard work, go on, on, on TV, on broadcast, knowing that F1 has a, a global audience of 1.5 billion? I mean, <laughs> I wish we had an audience of 1.5 billion on this podcast. What's it like? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's special. It's, it's definitely a feeling that it's, it's, it's rare. It's because, especially as a graphic designer, like to have your work seen by anyone is, is a privilege. And especially to have it on a global scale like that, it's, it's, uh, it's, like I say, it's, it's difficult to put into words because it's so unique. And especially with Formula One as well, we have such a global, um, global fan base and, yeah, it's a special feeling and it's a long process. Like whenever we're coming up with a new concept for, for example, like podium animation, it's, it's, it's months and months of reviews and it's revisions. It's not a very quick process. So when they finally see it on screen and everything works well, it's so satisfying. And, uh, especially when you go to the event and you see it in person, because there's one thing seeing it through a screen on TV, but when you're actually at the event and you can actually see it in front of your eyes and see how big some of these, these screens are that you that your content has been played in front of it's uh it's it's really special so no, it's uh, it's an opportunity that i'm i will forever be grateful for, for sure yeah i can imagine um and how did you get the opportunity what was how did you break into into that role into that kind of area well my journey was probably a bit different to others i think i had a quite a bit of luck on the way whereas um i finished college and i studied graphic design at college and then I was applying for jobs at like Ikea, Matalan, and just all of that, the typical um, service shops and uh, just trying to get anything I could. And uh, funny enough, I actually got declined from all of them. And then like two weeks later, I got an email from someone at Formula One, another graphic designer. And he said that he wanted me to come in to the Biggin Hill office and he wanted me to help out with the F1 Live event. I don't know if you guys know about it. It's in, it was the London Fan Festival. I think it was held in 2017. So quite a while ago now. And I was helping with small little projects like um, creating idents, which are the graphics that you see at the bottom of the screen that have people's names and their title. Um, so I was helping making those to a few different people. And then from then onwards, they just kept calling me in as a freelance role. And um, I was freelancing there for probably about a year and a half. And that was great because it allowed me to move from department to department wherever they needed me and wherever the, the focus was. And yeah, I think after about a year and a half, they said that they have this position going in the um, commercial media department. Where you, would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, of course. If if, uh, if it allows, if it means I get to stay here all the time, then then yeah, then uh, I'll, I'll grasp the opportunity as, as quickly as I can. And yeah, that was about four years ago now. So um, so yeah, five years on, and uh, yeah, still here. It's nice to think people were, uh, well, my boss thinks I'm doing a good job if I'm still here. But yeah, it's uh, I'm very fortunate to be in this position. Thanks. IKEA officially more difficult to get into than <laughs> yeah, you hear it first. <laughs> I know where I'm sending my next CV. <laughs> What's the most challenging thing you've had then? What's the most challenging piece of work you've had? You know, in the in your tenure so far, um, and what what how did you overcome that? That's the thing. Like especially when I first started, there was a designer before me in the department, but then he was leaving and I was replacing him. So when I joined the department, there wasn't actually anyone I could look up to, anyone I could get guidance from. Um, so. 
it took a lot, to, well, it took a while to get to a, a point where my work was on the, the level that it needed to be. And there'll be, well, even longer revisions and more time that it would take to conceptualization of a project until the final release. And um, so I'd say that the, that was the most difficult part, the, those early stages. And my team has now grown. So we've now got two other great designers with us in my team. Um, and so I feel like they they've helped a lot, but in those early early years, I was working every single race, um, which it, it does take a toll. But at the same time, you've got to look at what you're doing and the things you're creating, which obviously helps. But also, there's so much that we work on that will never go to where there's there's big projects that we work on that either we run out of time or we don't get buy-in from sponsors or technical difficulties, whatever it may be. There are there are a few projects like that which unfortunately just don't happen and don't see the light of day. But you like to think that the big projects, the ones that do get pushed through, like our LED podiums that are proven to become the norm now, um, we started to phase those in and then they gradually gain traction and then the bigger projects do seem to come to fruition anyway. So yeah, I think it was those early stages, at least because it was I was the only designer there at the time and still getting used to the company and how it works and working in broadcast in the motorsport industry. It was a lot to adjust to, but it was... Uh, it was just something that you pick up over time. It's, it's in a way, I was fortunate that I was the only one there because if I didn't do something right, it still had to come to me to fix it, and it allowed me to develop from that. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was watching one of the old races the other day. Uh, you, you look at F1 in the seventies, right? And they've just mm. about managed to get the right amount of pixels to spell out the names and stuff, right? <laughs> and then you look at it now, and you've got the, you know, even the Halo graphics. And um, people don't probably realise, but you know, the sponsors mm. that you work on around the track, they're not really there in person, right? They're they're, they're put on digitally, are they? There are. So we tend to have. Four virtual cameras, which are special cameras with special lenses, very expensive lenses. And um, then we have a team back at Biggin Hill who will remotely add graphics onto the live feed from that camera. So yeah, a lot of the track or a lot of the advertisement is at the track, but we do have those four cameras and we use those to actually swap the sponsors throughout the race. And say if there's a, a certain sponsor that's underperforming in terms of seconds on air, we will then change that virtual camera to show the sponsor. And um, it allows us to be really versatile in the way that we show our sponsors and just to, like I say, give them value for money. And um, it also allows us to be a bit creative because we've done some activations in the past. I think we did a virtual Formula, a big Formula One car I think it was a Williams milestone. I think that was before my time, but it was it was um, it allows us to be a bit more creative with how we present on track as well. Technology obviously allows you to now do things that you've never done before. What would you say is sort of the most exciting thing that that's coming up? And obviously, you can't share too many details, but um, you've obviously worked on the on the podium graphics, all of these amazing things that we now have in the background that. We sort of we take it for granted. People don't realise quite the effort and work goes in. What would you say is the future? And, and you know, VR's coming into sport a lot now. Um, how is how is F one going to evolve in terms of the way that they broadcast? I think the most exciting bit of technology that's coming is probably the AWS integration that we've really developed over the last few years. Um, you've seen how like the pit stop strategies come into play and the tire wear and all these different things, and I think that's only going to get better and better. Um, I can't release exactly what features are coming, but there are more in development that always like even from race to race, there'll be new graphics to come up. And um, there are things that there are AWS graphics that have come and gone in the past, but they like, I think there was the, um, 
Uh, even the tire wear, I don't think we do that anymore. Well, I could be wrong, but uh, there are lots of AWS graphics that are coming and um, they look really good. And I think it's only going to be more, it's all about engaging the fans. It's all about giving the people what they want. And especially those diehard Formula One fans, because again, like obviously there's been such a massive push, massive push for new Formula One fans. But we also want to please those that have been following us for years and years and years. And to do that, we feel AWS is the best way to do it. And mm. um, we'd like to think that hopefully people start to see the, the, the great collaboration that this is. And there's only more to come from that, for sure. Mm. I mean, if you remember, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, where we had that uh, AWS advert uh, within F1 with the little girl saying, how did they know that? Or how did you know that when the when the delivery comes? And I, I, I thought that about the tyre graphic. How on earth do they know that? I mean, what what data input goes to displaying a graphic like that in real time? How do they know that? <laughs> so um, I think Rob Smedley, he's the one that heads it up from Formula One side. He obviously, he's got a very prestigious history in Formula One working with Williams and various other teams. And um, so he's working with AWS and our data teams within Formula One to see what data we can pull from the cars and what graphics we can create from that. And um, I don't know exactly what data is used. Unfortunately, that is out of my remit, but there's so many great talk. I think Rob Smelly, he's done a few TED Talks and he's done so much to try and talk about the AWS because I think it's a big push from Formula One in general to try and make people aware of this and to just utilize all the data we pull off the cars because there's so many sensors and so much data that can be pulled off these cars and all the prediction stuff. It, I know for a fact that it does come from real life data. It doesn't, it's not just figures that are pulled out of thin air. Um, I wish I could provide you more detail than that, but there is like hardcore data that comes from Rob Smedley and his team that are pulled directly off the cars that are, that go into making these graphics. And there is real factual uh, reasons behind what they show. Yeah, and I guess it's it's kind of balancing, like you say, the the real like F one nerds who know exactly what's going on with the the newer the newer viewers who've maybe just tuned in for the first time or they've watched Drive to Survive and whatever, and they will have no idea what the the white tires mean or the red tires mean. So like yeah, exactly. the basics, like it's not like there's exactly seventy percent left on that tire or whatever. Like it's it's a case of kind of saying, look, this guy's gonna run out of tires and just helping that person along. And I guess it, it must be like a fine line. I mean, I, I'm sure it's not you kind of making decisions on exactly what to show, but kind of trying to to keep the the people who are really into it not feeling like they've been like I don't know. Having of course, really like, basic, but yeah, I know what you mean. Is it's it's uh, that's that I think that's the balance that we're trying to find because obviously we don't want to show because I know that one. I think the tire graph is the perfect example. It's like, how do they know that? Are they looking at the tires? Like, is 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 there like stats that from the come from the teams or? But I think, yeah, you're right. It, I think it's more, for that example, it might have been more for an illustrate, illustrative purposes for the new fans. Um, again, I don't know 100% on that, so I could be, I could be wrong. But I know that these, these, these data do come from somewhere. So uh, even if it does show uh, the front on both front tires on 10% by the rear on 100%, I'm sure there's a reason for that. It's not just a malfunction or something that's just been pulled out of thin air, for example. Some of the things I think are really cool are the podium animations that you've done. So the size of these things, I mean, they're bigger than my house, right? <laughs> and how big's your computer? Can you just talk me through how you begin designing something like that to then actually it displaying that large? How long does it take? Where do you start? I appreciate this is a, an audio podcast, so it's quite difficult to show your process. Um, <laughs> but it's not just, right, get a picture of Lewis, pop it on a background and off you go, is it? 
No, so there was there was definitely a, a teething period when we first started introducing them. Um, I believe started in 2018, I think was our first one. It was at Mexico, I think. And then Monza the following year was the next one. But yeah, so there was definitely a teething process. So all the animations are all done in After Effects um, and it doesn't actually... So say the podium, the podium backdrop, say it's 20 meters high, for example, and five meters wide. If that is the case, we don't set up a canvas that big in our computer just because there are so many scalers and hardware that go into the, the LEDs and the way they work. So everything gets scaled correctly for the pixels on the LEDs. Um, but that, that can all get quite technical. But I remember in, when we first started doing them, we had, I think for that Mexico example, there was Tiesto. He was playing, or he was a different DJ was playing after the event. And so was that the one he where had, he forgot to plug it in and there was no power cable into his decks? I remember that. That was uh, was that, <laughs> was that just standing there Monza? awkwardly. He, he was he was going like this, but there was no power cable in it. And <laughs> I noticed these things. Sorry, go on. No, no, no. It's good that people notice because it makes us have to forces us to have to make it work. So it's good that people do. So so yeah, for for that for Mexico, there was a third party company that came in. I think it was actually that the DJ's company. They come in. And um, they have their own VJs, or video jockeys, who will control the content for the post-race or the post-concert um, um, for Tiesto. And they'll control all the LEDs and all that. So we will, for that first beginning period, we would lean on these third parties to control our podium ceremonies because we were using their hardware. And then uh, Turkey came up, I think it was 2020, because they weren't originally on the calendar, but they were introduced for COVID. And... Um, yeah, so I think this was one of the first races where we were doing everything ourselves. And this was also one of our bigger podiums because we had one big center LED and then either side, there was two big wings. Um, we called them wings, but there's just very two tall LEDs either side of the main podium in the middle. And we had the content plan for all of them, all the LEDs that would kind of connect together and it would be a really cool show in whole. And, um, so we were running everything off a, a MacBook, just a single MacBook. There's actually a HDMI into the MacBook that would connect into all screens. And um, anyone who knows anything about video jockeying or controlling LEDs will know what I'm about to say, that that's a terrible idea. But we didn't know this at the time. Um, so we basically created a bunch of content. We had a whole content plan figured out. And what people may not realize is that a lot of this content actually is generated on the race weekend. Some of the stuff isn't actually done way ahead of time just because we're working on the race before it and the race before it. So sometimes we do come up with ideas on the fly and we're creating content while we're at the event. And um, especially when it's all built and we can see it and then we think, okay, we can do this and we can do that. So um, it was Saturday night. We've created a bunch of content overnight. I think we probably stayed up until 2, 3 a.m. And then that morning, we loaded it all into the software. It was actually, I think, it was the first time we'd used the software as well. So a lot of things were new. And um, all of a sudden, we wanted to play, I think, the national anthem, the, the band that were playing it. I think they're actually on the podium as well. So we had content for that. And during the national anthem, we wanted to show like helicopter shots of the city of Istanbul, um, just so just to provide a bit more production value to the national anthem. And all of a sudden, we see like, frames are dropping on the video that we're playing and this was just like small like a uh, smooth slow-mo shots of the city i was like okay this is this is slightly worrying that uh that we're dropping frames on something like this and we've got a whole ceremony later that we have to uh, operate for 
And, um, and then, so we were like troubleshooting, like, hey, what's going on? What's going on? And, um, national anthem passes and it was dropping so bad that I think we just put up a Turkish flag and then we just had to move on. And, um, but we still had to obviously had to troubleshoot for the podium ceremony. And, um, we came to the conclusion that the, it was all happening because the computer was overheating, which obviously sounds obvious now because we were using a small MacBook and it was probably like 30 degrees in Turkey. And we bunch, just loaded a bunch of content into a, into a software that isn't built for a MacBook. And, um, so I think it was probably, we came to this realization probably about maybe 10, 15 laps from the end. So like we're running out of time here. And, um, so we've got people scrambling, looking for fans, trying to bring in fans, trying to gather ice and put like putting the MacBook on, um, on books so that we can have clear access to the fans. Um, and it got to a point where the, my, the person I was operating with at the time, he just took the laptop, unplugged it from everything took it outside and started waving it in the air, just trying to cool it down. <laughs> you would never oh, believe amazing. that this is happening. This is all happening during the race. No one knew a thing. Like, even, like, it's because the whole, the whole time I was on comms. So in Formula One, we have the same comm system that the teams use where they press the button and you can hear them through the, through the headsets. Uh, so I was on comms to the people at the broadcast center. Because at this time, this where we're operating the podium, this is all happening at the podium. So there's like a room right behind the podium where we're operating from. So like I've got my boss on the on on com saying okay what's the update what's going on is it fixed is it fixed and at this point I don't even know where the laptop is it's outside being waved by by my teammate <laughs> I have no idea what's going on <laughs> uh, I just have to say to him yeah don't worry no everything's fine everything's fine don't worry it'll be fine <laughs> and obviously at this point I had no idea and I think the the checker flag waved this laptop's Still nowhere to be seen. I have no idea where this laptop is. And um, this is just me praying that they're going to come back and it'll be fixed. And uh, all of a sudden, my teammate comes back in, he plugs it in, and we're still dropping frames. Like nothing, like it didn't fix. It, I don't think it was as bad uh, because by this point, we had like a brigade of fans surrounding this laptop. Drivers start walking up to the podium and like, we can see they literally walk past us. So we can say, we can be we, like, okay, it's, it's now or never. This is it. Like, th- this is either going to work great, it's going to go smoothly, or it's just going to go up in flames and uh, we'll probably be sacked in the morning. We played the content. Luckily, it didn't drop so much. We didn't, well, we didn't actually play half the content that we had planned. So what we ended up playing was just the hero content, which is just the, the driver video uh, as they walk out. And, um, this was actually also when Hamilton won his seventh world title, I believe. So yeah, we had special content planned for that also, um, which we did actually land up playing after the ceremony. And um, when Hamilton was still on the podium, it was that, I don't know if you guys will remember, but there was the the big wreath and had the number seven right in the middle. And um, yeah, it was quite cool to see Hamilton on there with it. But luckily we managed to play it. It did drop frames. So if like, if you did look back in the broadcast, now yeah and you could you watch the podium ceremony if it is a bit stuttery you can now you know why but it it could have been a hell of a lot worse and i think it was all things considered it was okay in the end it could have been a lot worse it's still probably one of the most traumatic days in the office i've had um but in the end i think we got the best that we could and from then onwards we've bought supercomputers that run all these things <laughs> like we don't need to worry about that now i feel like that was a mistake we had to make in order to progress for the future and like I say, obviously now we're doing these LED podiums every single race. They are 
stable. We have backup machines now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a mistake that we had to make and it's, it's, it shows our development in how we progress. Um, behind the curtain of the world's most advanced technical sport. Exactly. It's just exactly. It's a MacBook getting way on. Exactly. Hands in the background. <laughs> yeah, hair falling out by the second. Oh, it was, yeah. it was not fun. That, that day was the not fun. image of that guy just waving the laptop about in the air is great. It's giving me anxiety just thinking of that situation. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because it was a week, obviously, that Lewis won his, won his world championship Exactly. As well. yeah. No yeah. pressure whatsoever. Yeah, and of course, we're trying to push these LED backdrops as a product. We want to prove that we can do these and sell them to sponsors and um, like I say, fortunately there wasn't no, nothing exploded or no, nothing went up in flames. So then uh, it was it was fine in the end, and we produced something that still looked good and editorial wise as well. It, it was good for Hamilton's championship. But you yeah, can laugh about like, it now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, looking back <laughs> on some of even like races from five years ago without the LED backdrops, the the spot like the podiums look so dull now where it was just like a green wall with Heineken 5,000 times across it or what other beers are available uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah like I think it it does it makes a big difference like so what is kind of what's the thing that you're you're probably most proud of in terms of what you've introduced in the last few years I'd say in terms of our project as a whole I probably would say it's the podium animations just because I have created every single podium animation or every single content for podiums since they were introduced but one which was the very first one in mexico um which funny enough the person that created the content for that podium was the person waving the laptop in turkey um <laughs> so i think that's something i'm most proud of um it's to be able to create something for such prestigious it's, it's, it's the most prestigious podium in all of motorsport and yes to be able to keep the given the opportunity to to work on something like that, it's 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 something that will uh, they'll carry in my portfolio. It will carry my entire portfolio probably for the rest of my career. Um, but in terms of other smaller projects, I think my favourite one would probably be Abu Dhabi in uh, last year. It was the scene was perfect with Max and Lewis tied on points. Um, I created a it was like a blockbuster style movie poster that had Lois and Max showing up, like facing each other. It was almost like a face off. Um, and it had Toto and Christian Horner there. And it, that design, they just, it was such a small thing. Like it was just the poster design. That's all it was, but it, we had it printed all over the paddock. Um, we showed it on the podium during the race and it was it, it just really blew up like so people really seemed to like it and um it's, it's just one of those projects that you really don't expect to take off um but i remember i think that following uh, is like a few weeks or oh, a few days later a friend sent me a photo of a bbc news interview and someone was actually using the design that i made as their virtual backdrop on zoom and i was like how do they even get the file for that like how, how does that happen but it just shows that 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 project really really took off and I think those those smaller projects, the ones that you don't expect to take off, but they do just because people really love it. I think those are my favourite ones, and that one in particular is probably probably my favourite. I can remember that poster because I I, 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 I it just summed up the season for me completely in one in one go. There was nothing else. Yeah, Ollie, <laughs> Ollie's Ollie's found found it, it on it. camera. I've got it on camera right now. <laughs> I had that on standby. <laughs> I had this I really saved, did. and I, I, I mean, uh, again, this is an audio podcast, but um, w w when you check out the Twitter, it's on Twitter, and it, it's, it, I mean, Toto Wolf on this side, it's, it looks like the coolest man I think I've ever seen. Right, it, yeah. it is awesome, and I'm keeping this as my Zoom background now for the rest of the show. <laughs> Thank you, Ollie. 
<laughs> but that is it's like my boss. He had a great brief on that. A lot of that inspiration came from him. As as designers, we we take what we get asked to make, and we we take up. We have our own, obviously, have our own creative spin on it. Um, but no, that was a really great brief. It was perfect. It was everything came together, and it it made it made all the context behind the poster really, as you say, summed up everything that was going on that weekend. And uh, I think that's why I really did so well. Well, one thing I'd like to ask as well about is. Um... We've already, we've already come across um, unexpected things, such as the the, the, the fan on the, you know, on the left having to be waved out, outside. Um, if we go back to Hungary of last year, when we had Esteban Ocon winning the Grand Prix, yeah, and you had to have an, an animation ready for him to take to the podium, he wasn't really in the running the day before. So, I mean, none of us expected for an Esteban Ocon animation to be to be there, ready to go. So, I mean, what, what, was that ready to go? Do, just, do all the drivers get that before the start of the season in case they win? You know, I, I, none of us expected Nikita Mazepin to win in twenty twenty. But <laughs> no, did he have to have some, did he have something similar for him as well, or yeah, how does did, that work? <laughs> do you have your Latifi one? <laughs> oh. So. Nowadays, we do actually have content for every driver, no matter how likely they are to win. It, it, like it, a little little piece of me does fall away when I'm there at three a.m. creating Mazepin content, for example, <laughs> at the time. Um, <laughs> but there was a there was actually an event. It was Monza. I guess I'm sure you guys can pick which one. Gasly on the podium. That was the first event where after that it was uh, it was like okay, we should probably start building these for more than just. How many? We probably did six or seven drivers at mm. the time. Um, again, the big reason for that is because when we were at that time, I think that was 2019, I could be wrong, but I think it was May, actually, probably 2020 actually. But we were doing like an LED podium every so every other race. Um, so we would create new content for each each time we done it just to keep it fresh, keep it, keep the people engaged. And so we would actually have to recreate all the content depending on. The country, the country we're racing in, and to do that for twenty drivers, it just wasn't feasible. Especially this could have been Friday, Saturday night, for example. So we only did. I think we looked at qualifying, and then we would pick the top eight, maybe a few outliers, maybe say Verstappen qualified tenth or something. We would also create for him. And then, um, so yes, this race started, and all of a sudden, uh, I think there were a few crashes, and then Gasly's now winning. This was still pretty early on in the race. So I'm thinking, oh, don't worry, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Don't need to worry. And uh, then the red flag goes. And then I think that was about halfway through the race. And at this point, I was thinking, I might just start thinking about creating the content just in case he lands up saying that we've got the red flag. It'll be silly not to. And so, but actually for Monza, for that particular race, we had more than just the podium LED. We also had the walkway on the way to the podium. We had bespoke content for that also. Yeah, yeah. So there was a hell of a lot of content that we needed to create for these drivers. And so we were scrambling, but like the red flag had gone. He's still winning like 10 laps after the red flag. He's still winning. And it's like, okay, we like, we, we, we need to create and start creating this content. So there was a bit of, bit of stress trying to get everything ready. I think we, we enlisted a few other designers uh, that were on hand to help. And I was just like, here are the files. Please do it. Please do it. And luckily enough, we did manage to get it all done. Um, I was working on the podium backdrop for Gasly during that time. And there was also signs while he was still at McLaren as well. I don't know if we had him either. Yeah, I was going to say, like, did you have Gasly ready to go? And then because Carlos was like hunting him down in the last two laps, like, don't overtake him, don't overtake him. Exactly. Just... Yeah, so we had to create content for signs also. 
so there, there was a bit of panic. I think we did manage to get the files up to the podium because it was, at that point, it was all, it sounds very old school, not something you'd expect from Formula One, but shove the files in the memory stick, run, literally physically run that USB stick up to the podium. Blowing on it so it doesn't get <laughs> exactly. too hot. Exactly. We don't want the files to corrupt on the way. Uh, God forbid. <laughs> Because at this time, I was working in the broadcast center and um, I was actually in the gallery where they direct the cameras and uh, where it all happens. And um, people are looking at, people were thinking, okay, Bailey's, Bailey's going to have to do this. And they, they saw me like clicking away at the back of the, of the gallery. And um, it's very dark in there, so you don't really know what's going on, but they could, they could tell that I was, uh, I was um, trying to get everything ready. And luckily we did. But from, from that race onwards, we started to create content for every driver, for every race. Um, just so we're not caught out. I think Stroll was another example when he got pole position in Turkey because um, we also have a big LED in the pit lane and we often have content that plays on that. It's, it's nice when the, the drivers park under, in Park Fermi and there's the big LED above them. Um, so we're always trying to have content for that and it looks quite nice and then it's shown in broadcast. So uh, there have been a few times where in recent history, we've been thinking, oh, thank God we've, we've made that change. I mean, we've started to do that because we definitely would have been caught out a few times. Be Ferrari team orders, you're having to say swap round because I haven't got the podium. <laughs> exactly. This episode is brought to you by Eight Sleep. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer and nature's best medicine. Consistent good sleep can help reduce the likelihood of serious health issues, decrease the risk of heart disease, lower blood pressure, and even reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. Yet, still more than 30% of people struggle with sleep and temperature is one of the main causes of poor sleep. I personally have always struggled to get the right temperature in my room when I'm sleeping and ruining my sleep. Now I'm falling asleep in record time. Thank you to 8Sleep Pod Pro Cover. The Pod Pro Cover is one of the most advanced solutions on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. You can add the cover to any mattress that you already own. The temperature of the cover will adjust to each side of the bed based on your sleep stages, biometrics and the bedroom temperature reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. Go to 8sleep.com forward slash formula nerds to check out the Pod Pro cover and save £150 at checkout. 8 Sleeps ships to the USA, Canada, and the UK. I was going to ask, just to explain to our listeners, uh, obviously uh, F1, to put on an F1 event, and, and I'm talking more on the broadcast side here, it, it's not just a, a bloke with a few cameras, right? This is a big team of people, obviously. What, what is the real scale of this from, from, a, from a fan's perspective? Because I think it's really difficult to understand how many people sit in the broadcast centre, how many people are working on different things just to bring this to life. What is the, what is the scale? It's it's actually it's, it's, so people could probably imagine it's it's big, but I would probably say it's probably bigger than you'd expect. So we have two main centres. One is always at the track that travels to every track, and that in itself is a monumental feat in itself. It's because there could be a double header, and they our riggers have to pull down all the equipment and ship it off to the next event. Literally, they are taking down the broadcast centre as the race is happening. That's how how strict these timelines are. And um, so we call that the ETC, stands for Event Technical Center. And then we also have a RTC, which stands for Remote Technical Center, which is in our office in Biggin Hill, which only really became a thing in 2020 when we wanted to restrict the amount of people traveling um, just because of COVID. It just makes, made everything more complicated. Uh, it was a plan to make everything remote anyway, just because of our carbon neutral um, ambitions for the future. We wanted to make everything remote, less people traveling less people on flights, less hotels, all those, that whole type of thing. Um, 
So but most of our live broadcast is actually done back in back in Biggin Hill. So our main director, the one who's saying, okay, take track mix, take on board, uh, go graphic or those type of things, he's actually in Biggin Hill. He doesn't actually travel anymore. And that is probably that probably goes for most of our live department now. They're all based in our office in Biggin Hill. So we have two, like I say, two main centers, and we they communicate between the both of them. And I remember a big issue that they were having when we initially started this the, this um, this structure and the way we broadcast is that there would be a delay from the event and to the track or to the uh, to the office. And uh, our IT departments, our engineers, and all these there's so many teething issues like that where all these people at Formula One had to come together and really find solutions. And it wasn't it wasn't easy by any means because. Formula One, we are, we tend to set the standards in terms of broadcast when it comes to motorsport. There aren't any other sports like football or NBA or any other of these sports. They don't travel the world. So the way we broadcast is very different to other sports. And we have often have to come up with solutions ourselves instead of, um, instead of looking at past examples. Um, so yes, I think in total, there, I could be wrong, but I think there's around 500 employees, full-time employees at Formula One. Uh, we often lean on contractors and freelancers, especially our virtual team. We have we have a great team um, who are who come into our office, but they're outsourced and they have great virtual knowledge. And um, because one thing with virtual cameras is trying to actually have the graphics stable in the camera is is very difficult because the data comes from the camera at the track and it's fed through to Biggin Hill and to actually make that work again was a big issue that they had and you would find that the the cameraman he would pan across the track and then the graphic will follow it like two seconds later because there's the sync was out and um that's still an issue that we're fighting today and there are some things like that um where we are just getting along until we i think after this season we're building a brand new broadcast center where we can hope to find out some of those smaller issues um, but uh, yeah, it's a massive scale and it's a massive effort, especially over the last few years. Um, because to go remote to Biggin Hill, it was always the plan. But because of COVID, we just had to push it. I think we pushed it forward like five years or something. Um, so yeah, it's over the last few years, there's been a massive effort from everyone at Formula One and to to um, to get to where we are and to not have had a black screen on broadcast, for example, because there was a connection like some pulled out with the wrong cable that meant we weren't getting connection from the track anymore. Uh, it, it's 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 been massive for the company and for everyone involved. It's it's been pretty mega. So, do you see yourself attending maybe less races now in the future, or do you continue to think to? I mean, do you attend all of them, or do you attend only some of them uh, since twenty twenty? So, I think the race or well, the year that I attended most events was probably twenty nineteen. Um, that's because our uh, LED podiums were new and we're only starting to integrate them. So it would make a lot more sense for me to be at the event and to help keep the right people together because a lot of there's a lot of communication that goes around. So we might be talking to our LED provider, could be someone different to our operators and so on. There's lots of people, different different people involved. And of course, the, the circuit themselves, we need to say we need certain connectivity or power from to get to the LED. They need to route that power to us or this network cable, for example. Um, so for those early days, I'd be the person that would help make that a bit more smooth, that transition a bit more smooth. Um, but nowadays, I probably only tend to travel to about four or five events a year. And it's usually the the Singapore's, the Abu Dhabi's, it's the, the events where you have lots of LEDs. And 
the um, or there might be a big milestone, for example, for a certain driver. So you go to the good races, basically, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to say that, but uh, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's, uh, it's just, it's, it just so happens that I get to, uh, my role, it ties into the bigger events, yeah. uh, which is, I'm not going to complain about at all. Um, but um, no, it, it's, it's it's always good. Like, I, I think even the smaller events, I think a lot of the European tracks are quite similar in the way that they, um, in terms of their infrastructure, but it's going to a racetrack. It's, 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 it's especially when I was there for the first time and it's like, I'm looking at the, even just looking at the signage on the side of the track, it's like, that's actually a meter high. And you start to think, how big is a meter? And just looking at it through um, the camera on TV, it, it does, everything looks so much smaller. But when you're actually there in person, you can hear the noise and you can, you can actually feel it. it it's just a completely different experience. And it's, it's something that I've been very fortunate to experience. Um, but uh, so, yeah, it's uh, if you've never been to a racetrack and you've watched Formula One your entire life, I'd say at least go to one just to, just to know what it feels like and to so just really feel a part of the event because it is it's something like nothing else it's really cool awesome well it's been an absolute insight for me i've learned a lot i i, I don't know about you two jameses because these are the real formula nerds formula <laughs> one nerds here but um yeah, it's been really really interesting now my, my final question i have to ask because you were there and you've obviously you designed the poster for it. What did you think of the final race last year? <laughs> this question always comes up. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I I wouldn't say that I have a particular favourite team or driver. I'd love I enjoy the sport. I love watching the sport for its entertainment, and it always gets me on the edge of my seat when I'm watching it. Um, I like I I did kind of want Hamilton to win so that he'd break the record, but then. You had a load of graphics lined up, didn't you? You'd spent all year making those designs, didn't you? <laughs> that is How many hours did you spend in the hour, you know, the days before making Hamilton graphics? <laughs> that is a prime example of how much we create that just doesn't go to wear. There's been so much of that. Oh, please send it to me because in my head, he still won it. So, um. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it, it, it's sad for me because it, that race wasn't, it wasn't directed from a race director point of view the way that all of the other races were, which is sad because obviously it makes it unfair. But then that is also the point of view where not all that that the championship wasn't decided in that race. It was decided in all the races leading up to it. There's probably loads of um, controversial moments throughout the season, but because this say say this happened in um, Bahrain right at the beginning of the season it probably would not have been spoken about in, at the end of the season. So it's probably a very diplomatic answer, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's sad that that happens, but, and I wish that Hamilton broke the record, but I think it just comes down to like, I think Verstappen had most laps led throughout the season. I think the stats all lean in his favor anyway. So I'd say it, it, Max probably deserved it, but I think he deserved to win it in a different way. I think he deserved to have that win without the controversy surrounding it. And obviously, F1 audience figures, they are going up, 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 up. It's on a good trajectory at the moment. Do you think that F1 can keep up this momentum? And um, what will keep it going? Because you, it's difficult to beat a season like last season, isn't it? No, exactly. No, you're right. It's uh, Formula 1 has been growing immensely ever since Drive to Survive. And even before that, we'd made a massive push, especially with Liberty Media. I think uh, Bernie was famously scared of social media, so he had no part. He wanted no involvement in it whatsoever. So Liberty Media, they've made such a massive push to um, to 
build our social side of Formula One to get those younger fans engaged. And um, that's obviously the reason why Netflix came to us or we came to them to, to create this uh, uh, the show that's proven to be so massive. Um, but I think the one thing that's going to be driving Formula One forward is the constant innovation. Like Formula One is known for its innovation. Um, we've had closer racing this year that's proved because of the, the regulation changes, which are, in my opinion, have come out well. And um, I think that we're only going to continue to innovate and find new ways to integrate fans because fan integration is such a massive thing internal for us at the moment. We're always trying to find new ways to to make it more exciting for fans, to get them more involved, to try and convey um, what some people may call those nerdy details, to try and convey them, convey them in a way that's easy to understand. Um, so I think that constant that constant strive to uh, to make things more understandable and to gather more and more data and to try and convey that and try and give the fans as much of what they want, basically. And um, that hunger has never been stronger at Formula One. And I think that's only going to continue to uh, to grow the fan base and, to, and uh, to give people what they want. So when you're making this year, well, I, I think you could probably make it now, but which driver are you going to design first to win this world championship? Uh, we, we tend to do it in championship order. <laughs> So it'll probably be Max first, and then, <laughs> yeah. it, but the, who knows? It, 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 uh, it'll probably be some Williams that will turn up to be championship leader in a few weeks' time. So who knows? But uh, yeah, luckily, no matter what happens, we will be covered, and I won't have to pull out my hair or, or <laughs> run away, like swim from the country that we're in uh, because of, we don't have certain content. So luckily, we've developed since then. <laughs> Well, obviously, your job is a very visual job. So where can our listeners go find more about you, the work that you've done, and, and, and see the stuff that we've spoken about throughout the show? Well, so my personal website will include all of my work. You'll, you'll probably recognise a lot of the Formula One stuff on there. It's just baileymce.com. My, all my social medias are the same, Bailey at baileymce. Um, but no, thank you guys for watching. I appreciate the, the opportunity to speak, and uh, I hope you guys have uh, found it entertaining. Certainly. I mean, I'm going to see podiums in a very different way now. I don't know about you two. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. The fan will always, the, the laptop being swung outside the podium will be forever in my memory now. <laughs> Again, thank you very much. And um, yeah, we'll catch up soon. Thank you for being on the show. No worries at all. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Podcast Network.